0: And we're back with Jay Foreman, CEO of Basic Fun, and we're talking about how we're gonna get all through this. Jay, welcome back.
1: Uh, It's great to be here again with you guys.
0: I wanted to ask you about trade shows. Obviously, trade shows are, (laughs) who the heck knows? But we've got all of these things going on right now. Toy Fair, anywhere that the Toy Association is doing. Some of the people who normally do holiday events are trying to do them virtually. On some right. level, it's it's great. I think as a sales tool, we've been talking to people at a company called ShowCloud who believe that what they've been able to do is to show the products to more people in a company than might necessarily travel to a trade show or a showroom. Sure. But at the end of the day, as Richard will say, trade shows are all about who you meet, interaction with the product, and how you engage and build relationships. What do you think is gonna be happening with trade shows as we move forward?
1: Well, as the chairman of the Toy Association trade show committee- <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, can certainly, I can certainly tell you that it, 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 I spend a certain part of my day thinking about it. In general, on behalf of the industry, but also in particular, my company, because I'm getting notices every day from my association that uh, (laughs) your deposit is due for New York Toy Fair, your second deposit is due for Dallas Preview Show, both of which we are a large exhibitor at, and are incredibly important for our company as a way of promoting our brand and and showing our our lines. So I, I say first and foremost that I don't believe there's any substitute for a physical in-person trade show, never will be. Not Zoom, not Oculus, but to bring somebody through a gallery to be able to present the merchandise in your own environment, your own controlled environment with the, with the right materials and everything, no substitute for that. I will say that we have been doing Zoom meetings with spring previews and they've been going pretty well, but spring usually is a much more reduced offering of product, a more subdued offering, lower price points, less technology, less features. So so they've been okay and doing uh, just fine. But I don't think that will necessarily suffice for full previews or, or replace New York Toy Fair. However, I don't know that we'll have much of a choice. So right. what would I say about the upcoming shows? And I'll lump LA and Dallas into one. 50-50 at best at this point, whether either of those happen. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of a scoop at least from the perspective of my, my perspective and my vision as it relates to my role as trade show chairman for the TA and, and a big proponent of Dallas, I'm going to be trying to, to make a push that if customers are going to do one preview, they're going to get, on, get out of their basements and get on a plane and go anywhere in the fall, they go to Dallas, one-stop shop. Yeah. Even the big guys, even if you have a, a big base and a hub in LA or in Pawtucket or in Connecticut, everybody comes to Dallas. Why does that make sense? First of all, there's room for everybody. I mean, there might not be room for for Mattel or Hasbro to set up a 20,000-square-foot gallery, but they could set up a pretty good-sized gallery, five ten thousand 10,000-square-foot gallery. What that does is it allows the retailers to come to one place. Dallas is a great airport. I've spent a lot of time in the Dallas airport. You fly into Dallas, you don't go down a bunch of escalators, into a lobby, into a long you know, walk area, ramp area, crowded terminal. You don't get on a train like you do in Atlanta or Las Vegas or a tunnel like you do in Los Angeles. You get right off the plane and you walk out a door and your bags are there and you walk out another door on the same level and you can get a taxi or an Uber. Um, it's not a crowded city. It's not a dense city. You can go to a hotel. You can pick a hotel you feel comfortable with. You can block out some rooms. The association for the buyers can coordinate sh- special shuttle buses. So there's a Target shuttle bus. There's an Amazon shuttle bus. There's a Walgr- Walmart shuttle bus. There's a toy buyer shuttle bus. You know it's clean. You know the driver's maybe been tested. You know that there's everybody's on that bus is wearing a mask. You know that as soon as everybody, before everybody gets on the bus, it's been clean and everybody off. And then you walk around in a building it's not the javits center with 40-foot ceilings and giant openings but it's not the toy center and it's not a it's not a small building in los angeles it's kind of open there's a big atrium so people can get around you're not asking people to go to la and get in an uber and get in a car service and go from this building to that building to that building to that building and who's in there and who went in there before me and what, what was in the elevator? We, we also in, in Dallas in the Market Center, we have, elevated, we have private elevators so we can make an appointment. Everybody from one team goes up the side elevator at 845 and the next team goes at nine o'clock and you get right up to the 12th floor. So there's a way to do it. So if there's going to be a gathering in the fall, it can be in one place. Maybe we're extending the show to five days instead of three days. So that's my proposal to make it easier for the buyers and we'll come to the buyers and make that suggestion to them and see if they buy into it. And that makes sense. And if that, if it makes sense to them and they say, listen, for years, we've been going to LA and we've been going to Dallas. You know what? This year we're only going to Dallas. All the LA people need to come to Dallas because we know all the Dallas people can't come to LA. That's why we're not in LA. There's not enough buildings. There's not enough time to see everybody. But Dallas can be efficient. So that's the hope for a possible preview show, if it can happen. If it doesn't happen, then everybody will be doing the previews on Zoom because I don't really believe that it it's going to make much sense for the retailers, if they're even back in their offices, to have dozens and dozens of individual companies coming into Bentonville or to Minneapolis or up to Seattle into small conference rooms. Okay. Not everybody has a showroom they can come to. So it'll be a little bit of a hybrid, not sure, 50-50. Whether New York Toy Fair happens or not, we'll have to see. The notices are going out for deposits. The recommendation that I'm following and I would make to everybody else is your deposit for your New York Toy Fair is generally a fraction, 10% or less of the total investment that you have to make to go to New York. So as it relates to the New York Toy Fair, I'm kind of following Uh, this advice, and and I'm giving uh, giving it as well. The deposit for your New York Toy Fair space technically tends to be about 10% of the overall cost of doing New York Toy Fair. That means your floor space, your booth, your drayage, your samples, your airfares, your hotels, your meals, all that. So now would be the time to still lock into New York Toy Fair, reserve your space, make sure you get your queue in line, Make sure there's, you don't lose a location that you've had for years. And then I'll be working with the association to see how we can spread the second or third payments out as long as possible. And also, if for some reason Toy Fair doesn't happen, how people get the money back. But if we all think about it, the real money from Toy Fair is as much in the space which costs money, but it's in the buying of the carpet, the trade show booth, the sending the samples, the sending the people. So what you want to do is you want to lock in your your position and your place. It's a smaller investment. But as the investment grows, we'll help you mitigate your risk along the way. And we'll make sure that if Toy Fair doesn't happen, people aren't going to lose that money. They'll get some of it back, I'm assuming. Some of it will be a credit for the following year. But now is the time the association still needs a way to, to get everybody in the queue. And the people that can keep their place in the queue and put the deposit in will obviously have the pick of the better locations. And and if we have a toy fair, you'll you'll want to be in the places you're in. Jay, I, I wanted to
2: ask you a little bit about the movie industry. Uh, as we all know, movies are becoming an integral part for many toy companies. Uh, and we have... What's occurred because of this pandemic is that the movie industry has become, at least chronologically, disconnected from the toy industry. Uh, A lot of movies that people bought product for or or had retail sets ready for have been postponed a year. Is this a watershed moment? for the toy industry and the movie theater industry?
1: Well, I would certainly guess it is for the movie theater industry. (laughs) Uh, You know, because it's, you know, it's the ultimate way to cut the middleman out. You know, if you think about it, if you don't need the distributor, if you don't need the movie theater and you can just stream it and you're getting the overwhelming majority of the merchandise, especially because most of these entertainment companies stream, that's a game changer. Now, what I'll say from a societal standpoint, and, and you know the movie industry is over 100 years old, 120 years old probably, is it's still an experience. I don't see how a movie ever becomes as big an, of an event as when you have a traditional movie release. You can release Frozen online direct, and people will watch it over a period of a weekend and they'll kind of talk about it, but there's, there's no comparison to the experience of a person making the commitment to get out of their home, to go to a common space, to experience a movie together in one place, to talk about it afterwards, to want to go back again, to want to see the expression on other people's faces and clap and sing, you know, that that is something you, you can't we can't really look to an example, think about this, of a online, whether it was a Netflix show or a movie that's streamed online, and of course it's still early days, that's become a merchandising phenomenon, like has happened with a movie. You, you, you can say that, you know, half hour Power Rangers or Ninja Turtles or Paw Patrol kind of does that by the repetition and, and, and the build, but as an event, as something you can launch at one time that takes off in two weeks or four weeks and becomes a phenomenon, the live theater experience is a big part of that. So hopefully it won't go away. In the short term, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly changing. I mean, we, we got, you know, every now and then you get a little bit lucky. We got extremely lucky at basic fund because we were the master toy licensee for Scooby-Doo, the movie scoop Right. And, and we got lucky in two ways. We got the goods out of China without a problem just in time. Crash. Uh, because they had to ship before Chinese New Year, <laughs> you know, to get to start to move here in time. And we got them out just before the slowdown. And then the movie didn't get get pushed. Warner Brothers decided to release the movie online at the regular time it was supposed to. So the promotion that we had set with Walmart, they had the goods. They were ready to put it together. And Walmart, who had the exclusive rights from Warner Brothers for the product this year, is one of the retailers that is doing business. Right. So right. it was like a trifecta of luck to make that happen. Right. But it's not going to happen for everything. And a lot of things are going to get pushed. So it's going to be different. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be different. We're going to go into new territory. Now, I assume that once things get back to normal and people can still schedule movies, there's still the whole concept of how the movie breaks and how it hits at retail, online, in theaters, that you still need to coordinate. And I think it will still happen.
0: I think you had one other advantage with, with Scoob, which is it's a 50-year-old property that for has sure. multi-generational appeal, is right. already established in the culture as a character we all know and love. I think it's harder to go from a standing start in this kind of streaming environment because there's no compelling reason for sure to go see it. If you can have it Friday night, Thursday night, yep. Wednesday afternoon, whatever.
1: And and also you know re, I I just noticed this so I think it was on both Scoob and and certainly I noticed on the Trolls movie, you know it's twenty dollars to stream, the on opening day, if you want to wait a while, eventually it becomes five ninety nine, <laughs> right? So and depends on how quickly that happens. Whereas the movie theater, yeah, you're you're spending, but typically it takes a long time, for it to come. So. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree when you have a recognizable franchise, it will certainly be easier. And if you think about the expectations for season eight of game of Thrones or the <laughs> next season of Narcos or, you know, anything that people are, you know, eventually this, this lion, you know, tiger show or whatever, Tiger,
0: tiger, king.
1: <laughs> I, the tiger I, I have to admit, I'm one of the only people on the planet that hasn't watched that yet. Um, <laughs> I will at some point, but I'm assuming there's huge expectations for the next one, great. But I think for a kid's show, the only way to really build it is you'd have to have like an amazingly compelling trailer or like the song from Frozen, Let It Go, that you can get out on the radio and you're building this anticipation But it's a hell of a lot more challenging, I would think.
2: Jay, we can't ignore the current agitation uh, with Hong Kong right now. Uh, The United States government announced yesterday that they were seriously considering ending the special status for for Hong Kong. And there's there's a number of issues with special status, but basically it's easier for non-Hong Kongers to get in and out of the country. There's no... uh, You don't need a visa, the uh, exchange rate is fixed, favorable trading status. Should the government, US government do that? What is that gonna mean for Hong Kong?
1: Well, uh, we think about the toy industry has gone through this, what I call this gauntlet, this triple threat gauntlet, the loss of Toys R Us, the trade war, and now coronavirus. Hong Kong's got their own triple threat gauntlet in particular, which which was the pro-democracy movement, The trade war and now COVID and now almost back to a trade war again. It's very typical of this administration of not really having the nuance to understand the problem. It's sort of trying to solve our challenges with China by smashing the window or or taking a sledgehammer instead of a scalpel. Didn't help anybody. The trade war hasn't helped anybody. It's really hurt, hadn't really gotten us anywhere. And so to to say that you're supporting the people of Hong Kong by making it, by restricting their rights and their freedoms even more, is so antithetical to what, what you should be doing for Pompeo to say, well, Hong Kong is no longer autonomous to China, so they shouldn't have the status, so make it harder for them to have rights, harder for them to move around, harder for them to do business is almost like, wait a minute, am I missing something? Uh, is this like a, a sleight of hand? Is this a trick? Are you really actually secretly working for the Chinese government to, to cripple Hong Kong and to hurt Hong Kong? Or are you actually trying to help Hong Kong? But when you see the, the some of the people that are surrounding the administration on their China policy, they, they really it, it's, it's, it's an anti-China policy, it's a racist policy, and by accident, it's affecting the people of Hong Kong, whether it's intended or unintended, and it's the worst possible thing they could do. If anything, they should reinforce Hong Kong's status and support it and say, we, we support the people of Hong Kong. We're not gonna change our status. In fact, we're gonna try to do things to strengthen their status not to weaken it that's my that's that's my opinion
2: and what do you think how is this going to affect hong kong in terms of hong kong as a center for the toy industry gatherings in hong kong october and january
1: yeah <laughs> so well i mean i think right now the issue with hong kong you know we're all in the same boat you know normally i would have already been on my second trip of the year to hong kong you know i would have i came back in january i would have been there in april Um, But you can't you can't really afford to spend 14 days in a hotel on your way to China. You know, now that's the only way you can get into Hong Kong. You've got to be a foreigner. It's got to be quarantined for 14 days. If you're a citizen, they, they test you when you get in or a foreigner. They test you when you get in an immediate test, two hours to get the results. If you're clear, if you live there, you have to stay in your home. They put a bracelet on. You have to stay in your home for 14 days. If you're a foreigner, you have to go to a government-sanctioned hotel for 14 days with a wristband and stay there. So nobody's really got that particular amount of time to spend, because normally I would go for two weeks. But to spend two weeks in a hotel room, and then another, I don't have four weeks to spend in Hong Kong. So that's going to curtail the travel. Um, We're hearing from a lot of retailers that certainly retailers aren't going to go this year. They're all postponing their trip. So I don't believe any retailers are really going to send buyers or merchants over to Hong Kong this year, Uh, maybe possibly January. But we'd have to see how it goes. But what it it does for the folks that, that work directly with Asia, owner operators of companies or the product development folks that work, you know, really closely with the teams in Hong Kong and China they're not going to go, so we're we're doing all our development through FedEx and through 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 video conferencing, and uh, I, I think it means probably for the better part of the year no travel from from toy companies into China or Hong Kong. Uh, right. I, I don't believe it'll happen this year. I, I, I would go. I, I would personally, if I could get you know if I could get a test once I got to, to Hong Kong. I would probably get on a plane and go. I'd wear a mask. I'd probably wear goggles. <laughs> I'd, I'd, you know, spend the money or suggest people spend the money to, to either upgrade or buy a business class seat so you have less people in the cabin uh, with you. But I would probably go. Just, but that's me. I, I, I'm that way as it relates to my relationship with my team in Hong Kong and just Hong Kong in general. But it's a, it will be a tough call to make. I think a lot a lot less people will be making it this year. And in, 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 the, in the particular the staff in China I mean they're really panicked they're really worried you know the pro-democracy movement most of most everybody in our industry is doing business in Hong Kong around the Moody Road area and Science Museum Road it, everything was kind of okay until the Polytechnic blew up uh, November, November December yeah. and it was a real problem and then it settled down and everybody relaxed a little bit and then covid everybody you know was a little bit worried for for a little bit but but of course in Hong Kong, they know how to wear the mask. Our 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 office, whether it was pro democracy or COVID, never worked from home for more than a couple of days. So they worked in the office, but they everybody had the mask on. They did different travel time and figured it out. But but they're 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 pretty worried now. They're really worried. They know the Chinese government is in the territory. They know that if the protests get out of hand, that the Chinese government's going to crack down. They're worried that there may be constituencies all the way on the right and all the way on the left that might be causing chaos and really looking to, to facilitate a bigger crackdown, either because you're anti-China or you're overly pro-China and the people, the 80% or 90% of the people that are in the middle don't want any of that. And they're, they're worried that something's gonna happen and it's gonna not be good. And, I, and I'm worried about that because uh, I've got family family, my wife's family that lives there and I've got 65 people in my office. And it's a place that I've spent uh, you know, a third a quarter of the year for the last thirty years in. And so I'm really nervous.
2: I'm able to see your office because you're on video with me, and I see you have care bears and tonga trucks and a bottle of Tums. Yes. And you feel- <laughs> and, and, and Tylenol. Ty-
1: <laughs> I think that's a wonderful metaphor, a living metaphor. I've been I've been eating tums like like candy like never before and I don't know whether that's I'm just getting old uh, some of us get more hard as we get old or just worrying and business is tough enough and then we're worried about the coronavirus or about our teams in Hong Kong and of course this this incident that happened uh, in in Minneapolis is oh. a horrible thing and that uh, it's just such a such a terrible thing um, these are the times that try try people's souls and. The only thing I tell people and I tell my kids and I tell even my staff I said, you know, we, we, every 10 or 20 years the world the world in this country goes through some kind of crisis. Financial crisis, a war, or something. Said the Japanese haven't bombed Pearl Harbor, Hitler's not running wild in Europe, we're not sending our kids on troop ships to go land on the beaches of Normandy. This sucks. This is bad. They're not, dog, you know, the Bull Connor is not sicking dogs on people yet on the streets in Alabama. Kennedy hasn't been shot. And Martin Luther King hasn't been shot. We've been through as bad or worse than this. And we'll get through it. People have to be tough, try to deal with it. You know, people that are losing their businesses are unemployed, lost their lives, family right. members. To them, it feels as bad as World War II. But this is stuff that the world goes through, and we've just got to get through it. Well, thank you, Jay Foreman. You've been fantastic today.
0: As always, it's a pleasure to speak to you.
1: Guys, thanks for having me on your podcast. And uh, thank you for all the work you guys do for the industry and in the industry. It's really important to all of us.
0: So now we get to the part of the show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I have a quick discussion about some issues that may be affecting the toy industry today, in the past, and perhaps tomorrow. So what you got, Richard?
2: Chris, I have a question. You are an historian uh, for the toy industry. You have written a history of the toy industry in the United States. And so I'm sitting here thinking about... This pandemic and the 1918-1919 pandemic, and you are the man that can tell me, did Toy Fair take place in 1918 and 1919?
0: It did. Toy Fair has run every year since 1903, and the only year it did not run was in 1945 when it was canceled as the request of the War Mobilization Office that had asked people to cancel all trade shows, it was because they didn't want people moving around that much. We had uh, shortages of supplies, shortages of raw materials for making toys, but they didn't want that many people moving around the country at that one time.
2: Well, let's just go back to 1918, 1919, because it's so poignant for us right now where was where was that toy fair held
0: that toy fair was held in new york and what was really interesting about that toy fair was that it was part of a whole buy american program where they were trying to get everybody to buy american-made toys because as the war ended a lot of companies overseas were going to try to dump product in the united states and that's when tariffs actually worked because there was a domestic toy industry that was actually protected buy tariffs on the on the products. So they were really trying to force people to buy American and it was really one of the kickoffs of the US toy industry. Because previously, you know, from 1903 on, uh, a lot of the higher end toys all came from Europe, Germany and other places. But as the war ended, people were very pro American. And there was a whole effort by the Toy Association at the time to promote American toys,
2: but you know, Chris, at that time, uh, one of the the world's biggest exporters of toys was Germany, and they were able to sell uh, toys at extremely low prices because their economy had gone to hell during the World War One, and our refusal to buy from them probably helped to some degree create the economic conditions that caused World War Two
0: <laughs> potentially, and that, and and very heavy tariffs on products coming into the United States because at that time. Most toys that were sold in the United States were also made here. That was before we've seen this diversified global economy.
2: Chris, have you ever seen any pictures from either the 1918 or 1919 Toy Fair where people were wearing masks?
0: Uh, I have not seen any of those pictures. It would be fun to go back and see if we we can find them. Uh, but I don't. I don't know.
2: Very interesting, Chris. I have so much enjoyed this today. Uh, we had a great conversation with Jay Foreman, and we got some more folks coming up uh, next few weeks that uh, we will just have uh, a will surprise people.
0: with. <laughs> this is Chris Byrne with Richard Gottlieb. This is the Playground Podcast, and another shout out to our main sponsor, Kid Stuff Public Relations, and you can see more about them on the website as well, KidStuffPR.com. Thanks for listening.